1: Start
2: with a hard hitting announcement about dogs in coats. There are many pictures of dogs in coats sent in by you, the beautiful listeners, and they're available on our Instagram page. And if you feel like you just need a little bit of a lift, then you will not be disappointed. There's just something funny about dogs in coats. Dogs in hats is actually even better, but uh, dogs in coats as well will start. What's our Insta address, Garvey? Jane and Fee. I mean, it's not difficult, is it? It's not very difficult. No. Fee is spelled F I. Jane
1: in the traditional way without the why, uh, and it is it's life enhancing and gentle content which is sort of what our Instagram specializes in and we've put up we've put on some um, Instagrammers I don't know what you're supposed to say but we're a little little behind where we'd like to be because I'm aiming at about 10 to 15 million so um, <laughs> I think we're on about 12,000
2: no 13, 13 13 yeah so
1: okay. I did check the other day Uh, anyway yes so please do uh, follow that because it is very sweet and unfortunately of course cats don't wear coats so I can't really play this game I have got a picture of Dora in a um, laundry basket which I might submit but I kind of just like to look at it in my own private time so I might not
2: okay well I'm sorry but other avenues will be made available to you you've had pepper pots I think maybe you just have to let us have dogs and coats for a little while
1: quite right good point I'll just settle down
2: Yes. Uh, now uh, everybody is on the edge of their seats about the reshuffle. No, <laughs> no about Cliff. <laughs> so I mean, we'll get to the reshuffle <laughs> and the reemergence of David Cameron well. this morning, sauntering back into the building. Uh, he is our new foreign secretary. Uh, the there has been a huge amount of surprise and some shock at that, hasn't there? Well, I think um, he was—he was the man referred to
1: once. Um, by a friend of mine who works in this building, actually, as a ham-faced wank spangle. Yes. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Anyway, he's back. We left our lives and now he's returned. To me, it's the it's the biggest comeback since Lazarus. It, it, it genuinely is this. We were not expecting it. Um, it's going to infuriate large parts of the population. Um, and I'm just standing well back. I, I've got... <laughs> it's quite interesting because, obviously, in this building and in our line of work... People have talked of nothing else all day. In the real world, and I like to check in with my real-world WhatsApp groups, not a murmur.
2: No, well, me neither, but that doesn't dull my enthusiasm for discussing it, actually. No, it doesn't. But At I, all. I think it's, it's extraordinary, and I think in terms of... You know, if you you were sitting there writing the Conservative Party season 674 and you wanted a plot twist, I mean, this is a Bobby Ewing (laughs) moment, isn't it? It is. I wonder where he was when he might have been in
1: the shower. might have been in the shower. In the Shepherd's Hut or in the shower. I mean, as you said earlier, we've all been a little bit bored at home, um, particularly those of us who've been at home with kitties over any length of time. And how thrilled I'd have been at various times in my life for the phone to
2: string into life... (laughs) Would you like to become the next incredibly important office of state? Oh, no. Well, I've got a little bit of sick just running down in between my breasts at the moment. I'm trying to comfort a six-month-old child. Maybe next time. Yeah. But um, Dave, he's got his passport. It'll always be Dave to me.
1: Um, He's got his passport in full working order. Well, let's hope he has. And he'll be off jetting around the world
2: bringing world peace. Do you think Good that luck is with that? one of the things that when he's been scrutinised ahead of this appointment somebody <laughs> has checked his passport hasn't run out because that would be so embarrassing. Because you have to not? wait ages for the passports to come back at the moment. I know. I think they've rather speeded up. Actually, I oh, think have they turned okay. him around in about uh, uh, well, you know six weeks or so? All right, well, uh, six
1: weeks before he can go abroad, if his passport's out of date, yeah. It'd be embarrassing, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, anyway, he's back, and I have to say, it is a surprise. Although we did interview one Tory MP today, who said he'd heard all about it. He, it had been talked about for months, and he didn't <laughs> understand why everyone was so surprised. <laughs> and he was the MP
2: for Rice Well, that is often at the crucible of political intrigue yes. <laughs> and now on to cliff
1: uh no, so, so what happened last night no, uh, it's a very long and, com- and complicated anecdote i'll keep it as short as i possibly can ian dale Take is a deep sh- breath, showbiz panel of ours yep. works for- and uh, is a massive cliff fan and he's got the gig or has had the gig i think his stint is now over where for three consecutive nights he got to interview cliff richard on stage as cliff's Cliff, as Cliff performed some of his greatest hits in um, his current tour, because Cliff is in his 80s. So doing a full blown show for a couple of hours is quite simply too much for him. And so he needed occasionally to perch on a stool. I've got to say at 83, if I can get on the stool, I'll be happy. Never mind doing the hip wriggling and and the great songs. Um he could do he could do that. He could get on the stool. He could do a certain amount of jigging on stage. I think age appropriate jiggery is how I'd describe it last night and then Ian interviewed him on a couple of occasions during the course of the of the concert. And it was it was quite a night because I think I, I I'll be absolutely honest with you. I've I've quite liked a number of Cliff songs over the years, but I'm not a fully paid up mega fan so to be in the midst of this extraordinary um, a cauldron of cliff cliffologists it was it was quite epic it really was and there were a lot of older folk but then you've got to be why can't they go out and enjoy themselves why should having a good time just be restricted to the under 80s no we all deserve a good time um and i was actually rather touched by the by the cross section of humanity that was there last night and I was sitting between two—not one, because you can't sit between one person. Well, you could if you were more supple than me. Um, or it's a different kind of evening. <laughs> or it was very much, very much a different kind of evening. I was sitting between two Fogarty sisters: Sheila. And her sister Anne, who is a retired midwife, and it has to be said, had some cracking anecdotes from her long time of service at Liverpool Women's Hospital. In fact, I would have gone to a show where Anne just told some of her best bits, if I'm absolutely honest. In fact, I think one day she will. Uh, So it was an interesting night and fair play to Ian because he was very much in the role of Cliff's friend. But of course, the audience, some of them are fanatical Cliff fans, I think they perhaps were... Maybe verging towards a tad resentful of Ian's kind of proximity to Cliff. Uh, Ian came over to see us before the show began, and he Ian had security. I'm not joking. It was that kind of
2: night. I just I just don't get this Cliff thing at don't all. Don't you? No. Him. Well, no. I mean,
1: I'm to be honest. I, like
2: I say, I don't. Um, I'm are, sorry, Ian, because I know that no, you know, he absolutely loves him.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, it is odd to see a bloke in his eighties performing bachelor boy. Um, That wasn't my highlight of the night. A couple of songs I thought were quite exceptional. I I mean, there's a a lovely song he does called Ocean Deep, which was an amazing song and a great performance. We Can't Talk Anymore. Brilliant song. Fantastic band um, who did a kind of almost like a heavy metal version of it. And it really worked. So I'm um, just in the end, who am I to judge? I mean, he clearly is wildly popular with his mega fans. And there were a couple of um, women sitting just in front of us who Sheila got talking to. And they were wearing Geordie Cliff fans on tour T-shirts and headdresses that illuminated. And when Cliff performed his two Christmas number ones, which are, of course...
2: Oh, I don't know, Jane, I just don't
1: I just don't know. <laughs> mistletoe and Wine right. and Saviour's Day. OK. Uh, one of the ladies came over and gave Sheila some tinsel, and so we joined in, with. Our, we waved our tinsel around while Cliff gave everything in Mistletoe and Wine. So, I mean, it, it was one of the more extraordinary nights of my... Going to gigs, one of the more extraordinary gigs I've ever been to. I mean, I'm going to call it a gig because that's what it was.
2: Have you ever seen Robbie Williams live? No, I haven't, um, and I don't think there'll be any similarities whatsoever. <laughs> well, I was uh, so I've seen him a couple of times, yeah. and I'm and I'm making my way through his Netflix. Yeah, uh, what would you call it? Documentary biopic? What is it? Kind of, yes, it's like it a is. therapy session. It's a it? depressing biopic, yeah. It actually is. But but uh, watching some of the scenes, so the shtick of it is that he's been filmed kind of behind the scenes for the last twenty years, and they've collated all of mm. the material. And then Robbie's watching it back in. I think is it a hotel room somewhere in Los Angeles, yeah, the, or a wing in his immaculate, huge, huge mansion? Huge mansion. Yeah, Topia Go Go. And so you're watching him watching himself mm. give a kind of commentary on his early life in the band, and then his breakdown. And I tell you what, Sir Cliff has managed to do is never go down that road of revealing too much of himself to the world. And even though he's had that huge adulation and adoration, for what? Six decades of his life? Yeah, he's now had a successful album in eight consecutive decades. Which is astonishing. Oh, it's,
1: it's absolutely extraordinary. But yeah. he
2: always seems to be somebody who really in ha, has enjoyed his fame. And the only point where you think, well, of course he didn't, was when the BBC put well, a helicopter up above his house. Absolutely. And lots of accusations. Well,
1: and I'm glad you mentioned that because he did hint last night, perhaps it was more than a hint, he doesn't have a home in Britain anymore. So he lives mostly in in other West Indies.
2: Well, he was so devastated. I mean, as he would yeah. be because it was a false accusation, but he was really, really devastated mm. by all of that. Yeah. Um, but it's just a, and and it's a bit relevant, isn't it, to our guest this afternoon, who is Martin Kemp? Just this allure of fame that then. You know, if you swallow the pill and too many of the pills, you just lose your life. And that's what's happened to Robbie Williams. Mm. And he seems to be in a very good place now. But watching back, him watching gigs, which, you you know, which I know I was at. So it's kind of like, God, I remember the screaming. Did it ever
1: cross your mind at the time that this person at the heart of it wasn't having a good time? No,
2: that's the thing. That's the thing. I didn't uh, I didn't think that at all, but I don't think I don't go to the massive uh, I I wasn't at the Leeds festival where he properly properly had a a panic attack, or was that Glasgow? I can't remember. So I think it wasn't was one of those. I think, I think it was Leeds. Leeds. Mm. Um, but you know, the part that we all play, and what we expect those people on stage to go through, and then I think what people are brave enough to tell us now, there are two just incredibly different worlds going on, aren't there? But Cliff, aside from that intrusion into his personal life, seems to be someone who just really enjoyed being famous. Oh, and I think he, frankly, I think
1: he loves it. Yeah. There are plenty of hints in his patter on stage that. Um, you know, he's, I'm, I'm going to say, he's
2: probably a bit of an egomaniac. Do you think so? I do. I think maybe Robbie Williams is a little bit of a narcissist. <laughs> and in fact, Camilla Long wrote something so superbly nasty <laughs> about him, and I'm sorry, but it was, uh, that, uh, that that the, the kind of confection of this Netflix series is like a lasagna or a self-pity. Well, I can, there are many layers. can, going can on. see what she means. Oh, but it's, um, it's quite an addictive watch, Jane. In a weird way, I'm I'm a bit sick of seeing him in his pants. Yeah, so. I'm not sure whether I'm going to watch much more of it.
1: No. I, don't, I don't know. Not with uh, not with other other televisual fish to fry. Um, but I just uh, I know Ian Dale's favorite Cliff song is Miss Unites. Oh and God, are we still doing this? No, Cliff? but it's I just. Moved it on. It, no, we haven't. It, sometimes you've got to. It, it's just a great song, and it was a great band. And can I also just say, in a very anarachy kind of way, fantastic sound. Because sometimes you go to a gig and the sound is muddy and it ruins your enjoyment. It was brilliant.
2: Well, did he have small speakers
1: and tall speakers? He did do Wired for Sound. Absolutely, he did. I'll be your bachelor boy. Oh, no, please don't. No. Right. That isn't my favourite, as I say. Does there come a time in your life when you can't perform Bachelor Boy anymore? If you're Cliff.
2: Well, I would have thought so. Probably about 1953. He's
1: only 83. Leave him alone. Okay. right. Now, we will get on to Martin Kemp a little bit later, who's a first time novelist. He is.
2: He's a first time proper novelist because he's actually written every single word of his book. Let's talk about theatre.
1: It was so funny, says Alison, when Fee revealed that the last play she'd seen was Jumpers by Tom Stoppard. It <laughs> was a long time ago. <laughs> we moved to London from Lancashire in the mid-80s and we thought we'd get on board with the culture. What was that noise? It's Eve. You're joking. They all say that. We moved to London from Lancashire in the mid-80s and thought we'd get on board with the culture the capital has to offer. So we went to see Jumpers. I think we chose it because it starred Paul Eddington and Felicity Kendall. And they, of course, were in the good life, weren't they? As Fee found, it was bewildering and quite unfathomable. In the interval, we spotted somebody in the audience who we knew from our days in Ormskirk. They had no idea what was going on either, so we did feel slightly better. What with that and a trip to see The Hired Man, a musical by Melvin Bragg. That's passed me by. That and one. me. My husband was well and truly put off live theatre. He has, however, in recent years, enjoyed Hamilton, except he had to stand throughout the second half due to a lack of leg room. And Hadestown, Hades which we saw in New York earlier this year, I don't think I know that. Uh, when you're in the Big Apple, you've got to make the effort. And thankfully, it was one of the shows not cancelled due to the smoke from the Canadian wildfires. Despite some failures and my husband's lack of enthusiasm, I continue to enjoy theatre visits. I saw The Mousetrap when it came to Torquay on tour and an Amdram production of Dad's Army a couple of years ago in our local Little Theatre. Give it another go, Fee. You might be surprised, says Alison. Thank you, Alison. Are you going to give it another try? I might. I don't I don't know where to start though. Now. Well, don't start with Lioness that I saw on Thursday night. No. <laughs> so there
2: was a time when I did used to go more often uh, when I was embracing the cultural life of London. It probably was before kids, but I do remember we went to see Woody Harrelson in a play. Oh yeah. Uh, that was so. It was just so astonishingly bad. Oh. We were not the only people who didn't come back after half time. Good grief! Is it called half time? The interval. It's an interval. Yes, <laughs> interval. Uh, But I did see Diana Rigg in the Medea, and I stayed all the way through that, and I loved that. You Is that see, okay? You didn't see Glenda's Lear, did you? I didn't see Glenda's Lear. I did. Oh, I tell you what. I've, I have also seen um, a view from a bridge with Mark Strong, and that must have been more recent. I think that's probably only fifteen years ago. So, I think I'm a regular theatre actually, actually
1: James I did see in The Times the other day that um and he was lovely by was the way. he yeah. was mark I can't unfortunately, I can never not remember Mark Strong. Doing the voiceover for the pandemic, exactly. He did yeah, all stay the, home. the government pandemic ads, yep. Uh, and maybe he's just been lying low ever since, or maybe it's my imagination. Anyway, in the Times, I saw that Panto sales have gone through the roof this year, so I suddenly thought, "Oh my god, I must go and see my local Panto," and I have booked. So my next theatre is the Panto,
2: and who is starring in that? Uh, no big
1: stars, but it's Cinderella, okay. And uh, and it looks it looks just looks fun, and um, I was really surprised that. Uh, the kids were both. Yes, we definitely want to go to the panto. Yes, we'll get. Yes, get us tickets. So I think it's quite good when children get to an age where they're not embarrassed to be going to stuff like that. I used to go to the panto quite a bit, and I quite enjoyed it. So I'm glad that we're on board for a family trip to the panto. Yeah,
2: I, I agree with you. I'm. I don't think I'm in that kind of uh, five year gap. I think that my kids are too old to want to go with me, but too yeah. young to want to go with me. Yeah, thinking. I know. I and there is, know. Gap, there? Yeah, there is a gap, isn't there? definitely. I yeah. wonder whether Suella might appear in Panto. Well, I should be, su- I should be free this suspect
1: Christmas. that she will be the punchline in many a gag.
2: Many a gag. Mm. Well, especially because it does rhyme with Cruella. Well, exactly. Something that hadn't gone unnoticed in headline writers over her policy-making decisions of the last year or so. Uh, can I do Fiona's and Jane's? Uh, this comes in from... Fiona Jane. Uh, hello, Jane and Fee. Um, I felt compelled to write in, having listened to your discussion on the prevalence and women in their 50s named either Fiona or Jane. I'm 52. I'm from Hitchin. Who knew? It's another Hitchin mention. Wow. Hometown of the chief scientists of NASA, Louise Minchin, two of the England women's hockey team, James Bay, Jonathan Ross's mum, Martha, rest in peace, Adam the actor who played the gay doctor in Holby City, and George Ezra, unverified. Oh. It's just ridiculous. Unverified. I love that. Right, okay. Can't be bothered to look it up in wiki. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, Fiona Jane goes on to say, I'm 52, my name is Fiona Jane. My sister-in-law is also Fiona Jane and is 55, and we're both called Fiona Jane Dolman. It's like a cheese dream. Uh, This is slightly mortifying. If I ever tried to call a florist or shop to send my sister-in-law a gift, I can just hear the disbelief that it's not really for me. That must be terrible. Uh, You know, what's the delivery name? Fiona Jane Dolman. Mm. What's your name? Fiona Jane Dolman. Mm. How long is this going to go on for? And Fiona Jane Dolman says, I'm not the actress, Fiona Dolman, just to clarify. I think there might be a whole new thread about how the name Fiona gets shortened. And if anyone can pronounce it without sounding slightly posh, (laughs) I've been called Fifi by most of my family, Fief by my dad, Fionia by my nan, Fee by my friends, Fiona at work and Doris by my husband. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a great It's uh just a great email. (laughs) All the best. Keep up the good work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, from Fiona Jane Dolman. Exclamation mark. That made me laugh. Um,
1: people are still writing about Julie Cooper. Uh, this is from. Oh, we don't need to mention her name. Uh, Julie Cooper. What a legend! I'd like to thank her. I think I recall hearing somewhere that she always sends a handwritten thank you letter to people who have interviewed her. I think that's classy. As a 54-year-old, I remember the many occasions of diving back into her hardback edition of her work, not able to delay gratification enough to wait for the paperback. The price tended to be already already competitively reduced in WH Smiths. Then I would greedily read them in private, In private, if in public, taking the incriminating cover of a red stiletto or a jodper-clad bottom-off. So it might appear I was reading something more literally edifying. Homer or Austin, perhaps. Sometimes just needing a bit of dreamy escapism from the urban grittiness of everyday life, they always delivered a predictably comforting dopamine hit on some level. The Guardian may never have written a kind word, but she is definitely having the last laugh. Uh, It was a charming and funny interview, and I'd be very jealous if you ever managed to have a lunch with her and get a tiny bit pissed. (laughs) please please don't go and lose the manuscript for your next book in the process though tally ho says our anonymous correspondent
2: well i'd love that lunch with Julie cooper i think i just love the handwritten thank you but it's right. not come yet i don't know what that says about us we mustn't rule it out no uh, so this uh, is from maria who says i just thought i'd back jane up on her view of uckfield Oh, I very much like other bits of Sussex. I grew up in a small village a few miles outside Upfield and all I can say is that in the late 80s and early 90s it was pretty grey. There was very little to do and it was absolutely the pits if you were a pretentious teenager with delusions of being edgy and interesting. I now live several hundred miles away in Yorkshire and I have done for the last 30-odd years. But if anyone asks, I always say I'm from... Lewis or even Brighton. My mum still lives in the same village, and she assures me Uckfield is now quite refined and gentrified, having both a Waitrose and a newly opened M&S food hall. Heaven (laughs) sweet. Personally, even going near the place makes me feel a bit anxious and queasy about those years of teenage angst, so I will steer well clear. One thing I do like to do is to check out occasionally the East Sussex County Council's latest move and its ongoing war against the local graffiti artist. The River Uck runs through the town (laughs) and it passes under the bypass outside the town where there was traditionally a sign announcing the river's name and no matter how inventive they got with the shape and the size of the sign, there was always a mysterious F added within days uh, thank you very much indeed for that maria and uh, yeah. don't ever go back to uckfield
1: well no i'm sure i've already mentioned the village very close to where i grew up which has the ancient anglo-saxon name of lunt <laughs> it and, only
2: takes one little strike believe me
1: it? it happened on a weekly basis
2: yep and well we won't go into the, the there's a very famous street isn't there in manchester Let's just not do that. Well, I do. Yes, there is. Um, there's also the bridge
1: in somewhere in Yorkshire called Ticklecock Bridge. Oh, yeah. Lovely. Yes. Lovely, well, lovely. Yes, indeed. Um, Rachel says uh, that um, she was, as a teenager, obsessed by horses and boys and so loved Jilly Cooper. Um, but when she took her copy of Riders to her granny's house at the age of 12, her granny sent her straight back to the bookshop in Crowborough and made her return it. Gosh, that's not a very liberal-minded... I suppose 12, is that a bit young? I suppose it is. Oh, I don't know. Um... Ride, yes. Oh, no, you shouldn't have been looking at riders at 12... You mucky pop, Rachel. Um, You can imagine my excitement when, in around 2001, my husband and I found ourselves in a rather empty restaurant in Fulham. Jilly was at another table. I was too shy to say anything to her, but after she'd gone to the loo, I rushed in afterwards so I could tell everyone who'd listen that I had at least sat on the same loo seat as Jilly Cooper. Right, well, that's it's something, Rachel, isn't it? Um... Is that enough to cling to, do you think? I don't
2: know. It's just quite It's just quite an unhygienic anecdote, isn't it? I think it's like when you know when men say, oh, you know, I saw so-and-so, and they say, where did you see them? Oh, you know, we were in the urinals together. And you just think, gosh. As long as I live, I'll not understand urinals. <laughs> no, I think if I was a man, I'd use a stall. A <laughs> hundred trillion percent. <laughs> uh, lots of you... Um, Uh, enjoyed the Casta Semenya interview. I'd like to say hello to Kate in Loughton and Catherine who's listening in New York and a couple of people didn't uh, and of course you're absolutely entitled to those opinions and thank you for getting in touch. Uh, This one comes from Happy Monday. Uh, I've had a fab couple of days catching up on all things off air and hooted my way through each podcast nearly emailed yesterday after hearing about a listener on the west coast of Scotland and her Cocker Spaniel. I was all ready to text my darling mum and ask if she'd listened to that episode yet as I've been hooting already when he went on to say her dog's name. Thought better of texting my mum Morag then. So does that mean that we've already had a text in from her mum? I thought that, but I wasn't sure. Okay, well, that would be spooky. Today on my drive home from Ikea and Costco, really, never again on a Sunday. Yeah, take that as a warning, everybody. I enjoyed the email from the listener whose beau had to get up to go to the skate park. That was just a lovely one. I was reminded of a very short-lived relationship I had about a decade ago with a younger colleague. I was not long divorced, so this was a huge ego boost. And I confided in another colleague as I was feeling very proud of myself. Some weeks later, confided, in colleague and I were in a meeting with short-lived relationship chap. There were about 12 of us in total, I think. It turns out it had been his birthday and somebody asked what gifts he'd receive, and I'll never forget his answer of a TV for my bedroom and some driving lessons. Right, I hope you're thoroughly ashamed of yourself. My colleague in the know and I nearly needed medical attention from lack of oxygen from Mm. suppressing laughter. Youngster is now nearly 30 and really rather dishy, although not sure if he ever did pass his driving test. Well, look, I mean, you could you could be applying for your driving test at any age, but perhaps he would. <laughs> I think we know. I think we know what went on there. Anyway, thank you for you that. You could have
1: given him driving lessons. Well, wouldn't that be romantic? <laughs> no, actually, no. emergency stop. Oh, my God. Could you give... I. I just... The idea of giving a child a driving lesson. No, I'd no. rather
2: teach Nancy to drive. Yeah. So,
1: no. <laughs> I honestly, I but, do not know how parents can do that. I absolutely have no yeah, idea. Yeah, and
2: hats off to the ones who do, oh. actually, because you must need to be so, so patient. And also, you're just in that nightmarish... The roles are just completely wrong, aren't they? Oh, it's you awkward. can't enforce safety enough in that, and... And your child is in control of a very, very dangerous moving vehicle. Yeah, no, that's not going to happen. I suppose
1: it's sometimes it's all right if you've got private land, isn't it? <laughs> well, Jane, do you have private land? No, I don't. <laughs> I'm going to drive the drive the Mini Cooper over the artificial grass. See if the student will eventually get round to taking her test again. And uh, yeah, no, it wouldn't no. work. And I will never do that in a million years.
2: Right, shall we get on to Martin Kemp? Was he the guitarist in Spandau Ballet? Wasn't he? Well, he was, but didn't. I mean, they all did some some backing vocals. I don't don't want to be controversial. We're not going down that road. Gold, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, they were they were humming along in the background, very too. much
1: so. I can see Martin now in a sort of tartan. He had like a tartan sash across. Yes. yeah. yeah. Yes, he certainly cut a dash. Very big, kind of baggy trousers. Yeah. No, they were they were like. They were very, uh, how can I put it, otherworldly and in a rather wonderful way back in the early
2: 80s. Then he's not lost it. He hasn't. There was general agreement in the office. He's got beautiful blue eyes and lovely manners. (laughs) Lovely manners? He did. He
1: He cut a dash... Yes. He's no Cliff, but he cut a dash. We've done, as you may know if you're a regular listener, some very, very intense and hard-hitting interviews with Kemps over the course of our tenure here on Times Radio. Uh, There was Ross, there was Gary, and I'm going to say we've probably hit the jackpot today with Martin. Holding out, we're holding out for Roman, don't, don't you think <laughs> yeah. we're not? Oh, he'll be in. Don't yeah, worry. no, well, I think he probably will, is the yeah. truth. Uh, Martin Kemp, of course, you know him from Spandau Ballet and from all his acting, notably in... What would you say was your greatest acting role?
3: Uh, well, it all depends uh, how old you are. Uh, I, well. think, uh, I think, um, you know, if you go back a few years then it's Spandau, but then if you're a little bit younger, I suppose it's uh, the Craves, yeah. the Cray Twins. Yeah. Uh, which which, which think...
1: Cray did you play? I, I played Reggie Craig. Okay,
3: and my brother was Ronnie. Mm. And uh, if you're a little bit younger than that, probably EastEnders. Yeah,
1: okay. You're not in EastEnders now, though, are you? No, Did 20 you years
3: ago. Yeah, they blew me up.
1: Did they? Yeah, okay. completely.
3: They, they blew me up on purpose because uh, I resigned and then um, they said to me, ''Where are you going?'' Uh, because we'd like you to come back mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm going over to ITV to make, <laughs> to make a few dramas. At which point?
1: Uh, yeah, at which point they blew me up. Fair enough. Well, don't upset the people at EastEnders. Clearly, that's the message yeah, there. Yeah, Walford's yeah. a rough old place, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, now, your first novel is called The Game. Yeah. And it features a character that, I mean, obviously the first question to you has got to be, are you the central character, Johnny Klein? Well, well there's a lot of me...
3: In that protagonist, there's a lot of me in that central character, but there's a lot of me in all of the characters, even the young Indian girl, even the the old lady that's in there. Um, there's me because it's all my emotions, you know. Obviously, you know, you know, I kind of had this idea probably thirty years ago, right? Because I had this terrible fear in the middle of the eighties when the band was at its height and we were. Probably one of the biggest bands in the world at, mm. at that point.
1: Have you hang on? Have and, you and seen Spandau Ballet live? <laughs> <laughs> I have. Wait, wait, you wait. have? I have. Yeah. Yeah. Was it good? Very good, Martin. Great, good thank you. Yeah.
3: Um, but we were probably one of the biggest bands in the world at that point in the middle of the eighties, and I had this terrible fear inside of me all the time that I that. I couldn't enjoy life because I, I kept wondering what would happen if it was all taken away tomorrow, absolutely everything. So uh, I had to sell up, like, the character in the book, mm. lock, stock and barrel and have nothing left. But all you are left with is a famous face. And where, do you, where does that leave you? you know, but How do you get back into real life? If everybody's pointing at you, you, saying that used to be him, that used well, to be that pop star.
1: As the game opens, Johnny is absolutely on his uppers. He's yeah. losing his house, and he's completely reliant on the on the really nice help of a good friend called Mona, yeah. who puts him up basically in an attic at her uncle's restaurant. Is it's an right?
3: Indian restaurant yeah. in Brick Lane called right. Graceland, right. that is kind of like an Elvis Presley theme park, yeah. uh, and uh, so. uh, Brick Lane comes out of it because I wanted to write about that place because it was something that always stuck in my mind from when my... On a Sunday, my dad used to take me and Gary to visit different parts of London, Mm -hmm. like the Monument or Tower Bridge or something like that. And uh, Brick Lane was the one place that kind of stayed in my mind because it was so full of colour. It was so full of different smells that I hadn't... Uh, smelt before
1: and different tastes well it's the art it's not actually that far from where we're sitting now in london yeah. bridge is it you yeah, could yeah. get there in 10 minutes or so absolutely and it's it's an absolute melting pot of all kinds of huguenot and jewish yeah. settlers and then you've yeah. got and then you've got a bengali folk and all kind i mean it's absolutely. a crazy place but a brilliant one it's
3: a brilliant place and it is a brilliant place to write about mm. so i wanted to put him in there and but I wanted this is what I wanted. I wanted Johnny Klein to have absolutely nothing left. He has to sell up lock, stock, and barrel. So he leaves everything in the big old mansion that he used to own, and he has to live above an Indian restaurant in Brick Lane.
1: Yeah, and his only view of the world is through, there's a massive cardboard cutout of Elvis outside the restaurant yeah, and you can see through his eye. Well, yes, I mean,
3: it, it, really, I'll tell you why I wanted that. It was because, imagine this, uh, imagine the front of a building, you know those little plastic discs that get blown around in the wind? Yeah, you know, yeah. they're kind of on lots of... Uh, uh, billboards down in Leicester Square uh, and they move around and so that makes the kind of face come to life really and I wanted a picture of Elvis up in front of the restaurant this kind of like 40 foot by 40 foot made out of these plastic little pieces that move around and uh, on the front it's a picture of Elvis but not in his heyday it's a picture of Elvis when he was grossly overweight in vegas (laughs) uh, and his chin used to wobble with these plastic discs uh, and he's that the window is elvis's eye not really because of what he's looking out onto Mm. it's that when he's in his bedsit the window is the elvis's eye that is looking at him all the time and how sad it is Mm. so it's kind of like works both ways johnny can look out onto brick lane but Elvis is always looking at him, and it makes Johnny feel like everything has gone wrong.
1: Well, we, we don't want to give away the plot, but basically Johnny gets mixed up with some unfortunate folk. I mean, it all comes back to haunt him. He's he's a bad lad, but he's also a lovable one. Yeah. And I have to say, his relationships with the ladies continue, despite, <laughs> um, despite his lack of financial appeal, shall yeah. we say. The women still keep coming. And he is married as well, isn't he?
3: Well, he's married, he has that. So, you know, I, I love a little bit of soap. At uh, the best of times, you know, yeah. and I wanted to put that in there as well, kind he, of family drama. Uh, so that's inside there as well. But but do you know what I really liked about writing Johnny Klein was that it was his vulnerability. It, and I think it was that that the ladies go for. Mm. You know, when I was writing it, the more vulnerable I I could make him... We want to make
1: them better, that's the thing. Yeah, the more
3: vulnerable I could
1: make him, uh, the better it works. (laughs) Just looking at my colleague there. No, we've all all been there, Martin. Um, And and paid a heavy price, it has to be said. Um, You you do say that um, what goes on on tour stays on tour. Yeah, yeah. Um, And Johnny finds it very difficult when he gets... Or used to, back in the day, used to find it very difficult readjusting to domestic life after that the heady excitement of life on the road. Yeah. Was it like that for you?
3: Uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, if you speak to any rock uh, rock star or anybody in a band uh, that has lived that life, um, when you wake up in the morning on tour and everything is done for you, you know, from someone packing your bags to someone ordering your, your food, everything is done for you. And you, then you have the reality of coming home when that tour finishes. And it is a real downer no matter how much you want to be at home and you dream of going home all the way through the tour, you miss home like crazy. But when you get there, it takes the time to readjust.
1: Is it still the case for you if you've been out and about doing a job and you get back and Shirley says, do the bins?
3: No, not anymore for me. I've got well used to that now. 62 years on, uh, I've got well used to putting the bins out.
2: how do you uh, teach your son in particular about mm. coping with fame? Because your son has... He's not gone into a band, but he's a well-known TV yeah. and radio centre. Radio. Yeah, he,
3: he's uh, doing really well on his own, Roman. Um, he's in the right profession for who he was as a little boy. You know, he was always the centre of attention. And growing up, you have to imagine that in my house... I had some of the most famous people in pop music around mm-hmm. my dinner table sometimes, and I will always remember Roman at ten years old, eleven years old, who was so always so super articulate um, <laughs> at one end of the table. And at the other end of the table was George Michael. And the two of them, George would never give up an argument, ever. Right. He would argue until you was blue in the face, even if he knew he was wrong. And uh, the Good two man. everybody <laughs> used to walk away from him and just leave those two going at each other. So Roman always understood fame. And he saw, being around George as well, he saw the darker sides of fame. Yeah. And... Um, Uh, It's something that me and Ro always spoke about when he was growing up and I'm trying to explain to him always that fame is about... It's kind of like getting a ticket for a better job in this bubble called entertainment. And the more famous you are, the bigger your
1: ticket is. Well, on that note, have you seen the Robbie Williams documentary on Netflix? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean... I, sad, I just got fed he? up with him sitting around in his pants. Yes, I, there was a lot of him in his pants, scratching his bottom. I, yeah, and that. But yeah. I did find it, if I'm honest, dispiriting because he mm. he was drawn to the very thing that was both right and very wrong for him. Yeah, uh, he couldn't resist it, could he?
3: You know, well, you can't. It's kind of like um, I always said when I was starting in band. It's kind of like doing a making a deal with the devil. You you, you can't win, you know. And most kids, if you offer them that deal, if you say, okay. The devil's got a deal for you, right? You can live the most incredible life mm. for for 15 years as a rock star, moving around in your jets and all what comes with it. But then after that, you've got to pay a price. Most kids would snap it up. Of course.
2: Up. Yeah. But you seem to, and your brother, actually, you seem to have come through all of that really mm. with your heads still screwed on. So how come you've managed to not fall off the great big...
3: Um, I think it was track. because... Uh, I spent the first... When I was uh, 10 years old, I was with the beautiful lady that just passed away only yesterday, Anna Scher. Yeah, her
2: stage uh, school.
3: Yeah. yeah. And I was there for probably um, eight years where I was doing all those 1970s TV shows like Comedy Playhouse, Play for Today, all of that. And I think that and Anna gave me my grounding. uh, uh um, Anna was the most beautiful lady when I was a grown-up. And I always say that, even today, that she was the one probably who gave me the good side of my personality. The bad side, I think, came from Steve Strange.
0: Right. right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> OK, don't go to his stage school kids. No, but but
3: Anna, Anna gave me half of my personality, and I think it was her... Me and Gary both went there,
1: and I think it was her that gave us the grounding. Has Gary read the book? Uh, not yet. No, no. You're very you're much at pains to point out you that you wrote this. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I suppose yeah. there might be, and yeah. you know, I hate to break it to the listeners, yeah. the magic of, of course some parts of the literary world is that people put their name to stuff they haven't yeah, written. Yeah, of course. But but listen, you've written this.
3: Listen, it's all part of entertainment. If that's what you want to do, then that's how you the road you go up. You know. Mm. But if for me. Writing was something that I love doing. You know, I've written several biographies in the past and and I grew up writing film scripts as well and a couple of them got made into movies. So putting the two things together was really nice. And uh, I spent a long time in Los Angeles um, in the 90s. And if you read a lot of scripts there, now British scripts are more like bullet points, film scripts. American scripts are pieces of art and uh, they are beautiful things to read Mm. and I think a lot of what the style of that book is in my time in Los Angeles...
1: Okay, and so you are then a shoe in to play the part of Johnny Klein. Uh,
3: I, I don't know. Listen,
1: that's oh every, come that's on, that's Martin,
3: that's please you know, look. look you know, but having your book turned into a movie or a TV show is every writer's dream, and
2: it's the perfect pension. And why wouldn't you do that? Right, right, it will be I, wonderful.
3: I, I, I'll have to do an audition. I
1: dare say. <laughs> <laughs> to play, yeah, no, surely not. Just as we mentioned, Brick Lane, and I do love a curry. What's your favourite? Oh, I'm um, a dal.
3: My my. I, see, um, I was
1: expecting something a bit fiery. No,
3: dal sort of thing now. I, I could miss all of the chicken dinners, all of the prawns. I could just go for the dal dip.
2: Really, yeah, I'm with you on that. Dal. Just as long as you've got some really lovely fluffy. Oh, I can get the
3: number out. I'm going to get a delivery.
2: <laughs> Martin Kemp. Um, we we nearly asked him about what he thought about Lord Cameron. But then we didn't, did we? No, we no. just chickened out. Mm. And we're not very good at going for the really, really tough questions, are we? <laughs> uh, um, what's your favourite
1: span track? Oh, span Um Gosh, I had the 12 inch of We Don't
2: Need This Pressure On. Oh, that's my least favourite. Yeah,
1: well, funnily enough. It's quite an odd beat. I bought it, not because I liked it. Because I wanted to be seen as fearfully trendy. Okay. Um, I thought, interestingly, I, I really like their song Through the
2: Barricades. Well, I've just written that down. That Have is you? my okay. absolute favourite. One of the very few attempts to write a song about, about Northern or, Ireland. About Northern Ireland, yeah. yeah. We made our love on Wasteland and Through the Barricades. Mm. Um, they were responsible for the
1: worst couplet, I'm afraid. Um, she used to be a diplomat and now she's down the
2: laundromat. I don't think it's up there. I don't think it's up there with Toto's Africa. Oh, the no, Serengeti. nothing. No,
1: no, nothing. Nothing's up God almighty, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, would, I would honestly say that Bachelor Boy is better than that. Oh, my God. <laughs> so if you were there last night at Cliff, you'll know where I'm coming from. OK. I just want to say a quick hello to Rosalind, who I met on Saturday afternoon.
2: Oh, oh good reminder. Can I say a quick hello to Andy, uh, who I bumped into on Friday morning, and it, it was so nice to meet you, Andy. You said something so kind to me um, about family life that I am never, ever going to forget, uh, and it was really lovely to meet you. Where were you, though? No, I was just outside a cafe having a nice uh, mum coffee, and uh, Andy came past, and, uh, and she said... The spooky thing was she was listening to the podcast oh, no, that's, that's and then she saw me there. And anyway, we had a really, really lovely chat. She really she got her money's worth though, didn't she? Listening sends, and then yep, meets you. She sends you her love. Oh, uh, hello, Andy. And we had a lovely off-air hug and she went on her way. But it was really nice to meet you, Andy. That will spook you. Oh no, we've done all this.
1: We've done, it's not Halloween. We're moving on to the even more frightening season of you know what, little toe and
2: wine. <laughs> oh, you have starting me off again.
3: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new custom spray five-in-one gives you control with five different spray patterns.
1: You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings. Otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey
2: and Fee Glover. We missed the modesty class. (laughs) Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man. It's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if
1: you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week. And you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day as well as a genuinely interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of
2: subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon.